Hello. And welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents. I'm Howard Dory. I'm Jessica Dory. We take deep, reverent dives into lesser-known stories of the early Republic. In our last episode, we covered the murder of Elma Sant. No matter how sorry. quietly you yawn, it's all that I hear. I'm sorry. It's like on the microphone, it sounds like a pterodactyl about to attack. Does it really? It's, I mean, no. I, I want my own pair of headphones. I think it's about time that I've earned some headphones. Um, you could have had them anytime. You, you vehemently were against them. I was. You're like, do I have to wear headphones? Why do you have to wear headphones? Nobody should wear headphones. What are headphones for? <laughs> I never, I never questioned why you had to wear them. I, th- I thought you had. Well, now I'm feeling left out. <laughs> yeah, you can get some. I want to hear a pterodactyl attacking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. It's just me. You yawning. I'm the pterodactyl. Mm-hmm. I'm the pterodactyl. Yes. In our last episode, we covered the murder of Elma Sands, whose body was discovered at the bottom of a well owned by the Manhattan Company. That well is still there under a clothing store? Yeah, it's in the basement of a clothing store in New York City. That's just bizarre. A little bit. The man accused of killing Elma Sands, a man named Levi Weeks, he was defended by the infamous rivals Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, a dream team of a defense. And it's the relationship of those two men that we're going to explore in this episode, specifically how that relationship played into the creation of this company, this perfect monster, as it was called, the Manhattan Company. Hot. Yeah, the scheming, the manipulation, the trickery, the genius that went into the creation of this company is simply incredible. Interesting. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Beatrice Rubens for her research on the Manhattan Company. Nice. I'll put her work and other sources up on the show notes at plodpod.com. Ooh, Beatrice. Yeah. The genesis for the Manhattan Company. It all started with that dreaded disease, yellow fever. Uh, We talked about how the yellow fever had wiped out 10% of Philadelphia's population. Yeah. It was also devastating in New York City, especially in 1798. People didn't understand yet that yellow fever was spread by mosquitoes, but they had the idea that dirty water was part of the problem, and it was with mosquitoes breeding in it. But New York, it didn't have a good supply of clean water, and the yellow fever epidemic of 1798 really woke people up to the need to do something to prevent all this death. They needed clean water. Mm. And this all was happening in the lead up to the election of 1800, where everything was political. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. We saw in our Benjamin Rush episode how this epidemic, yellow fever, had already been politicized. Mm-hmm. Like there was a federalist treatment and a Republican treatment. Well, Aaron Burr was about to politicize yellow fever in a way that no one expected. Least of all, Alexander Hamilton. Hmm. Burr saw the city's need for water, and he saw a way to manipulate it to achieve his own need for money and power. It's so screwed up. I mean, that seems to be the forefront of everyone's mind all the time in politics. It seems like this wasn't, this isn't a new thing. This is, goes way back. I mean... Money and power, money and power. Yeah. He hatched a plan where New York would get water, and he would ride that water slide all the way to the White House. <laughs> So let's go into a little background on Burr and Hamilton. That would be really fun, by the way. A water slide into the White House? Yes, absolutely. They have the Easter egg roll. Why not just (laughs) put a water slide there? So I want to go into a little background on Burr and Hamilton and what was happening in 1799 and like New York politics. Background. Yeah, because this is all political. It's good to understand who these parties were and what was happening. Okay. So you've got these two political parties in the U.S. I always get them mixed up, so hopefully I can... Learn from this. I will try to make it as clear as I can. Okay. Because they're easy to um, confuse. Oh, they are. So it's not just a me thing. Um, no. Okay. No. It's, they're different parties. They're not related to today's parties, but they have the same name in some ways. It's yeah. yeah. And then they converge at one point. Oh, we don't have to worry about that today. <laughs> okay. No converging. So you've got two parties. You've got mm-hmm. the Federalists, mm-hmm. and they arose to support the Washington administration and Alexander Hamilton, who was really the leader of the party. And then there's the Democratic Republicans, or just the Republicans, as we're going to call them today. Okay. Uh, no relationship to the current Republicans. Or the current Democrats. They're actually <laughs> an ancestor of the current Democrats. But a lot has changed. Okay. Yeah, right? You asked. I, I asked. How dare you? <laughs> I'm um, here to confuse. Yes. 
So you've got the Republicans. They were born from the efforts of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison to oppose the Washington administration. Um, So the two parties, they were divided on things like federal power versus state rights. And the French Revolution was a big sticking point. Republicans, Jefferson's party, they were all about France. And the Federalists, who preferred staying buddy-buddy with England, they were worried about the mob mentality breaking out in France. And they they didn't want that sort of head-chopping-off spirit infecting the U.S. Mm. So these were really the big ideological differences between the parties. Okay. So Federalists is Hamilton and Washington and Democratic Republicans is Jefferson and Madison Madison and Burr and Burr. Yes. Okay. So in 1799, you've got these two big wig lawyers mm-hmm. in New York, Hamilton and Burr. Mm-hmm. Both of them are veterans of the revolution. Hamilton had already been the secretary of the treasury for Washington. Mm-hmm. He'd established a national bank and then even a state bank in New York. But now he was just a lawyer who was dealing with the fallout from a scandalous affair that went public. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah, on the side, he was sort of the head of the U.S. Army. uh, But that doesn't matter that much here. Okay. Burr, at this point, he'd been a U.S. senator. And he won that seat by defeating the incumbent, who was Hamilton's father-in-law. So that was really the start of their beef. Then Burr was a candidate for president in the election of 1796. He lost that election to John Adams, and he lost his Senate seat. But instead of setting his sights high again, he set his sights lower on becoming a state assemblyman, basically like a representative in the state's Congress. This is Burr? Yeah. Why did he do that? Well, it was a far lower political position, but it let him focus on New York politics, which arguably gave him even more power to affect the next election, the election of 1800, because New York was such a swing state mm-hmm. and New York City would decide how the state went. So if you controlled New York, you could possibly control the entire election. Hmm. And if that city could somehow swing from Federalist control, which was the current situation, to Republican control, to Burr's party, it would mean John Adams was out and Thomas Jefferson was in. Mm -hmm. Or maybe instead of Jefferson, Burr. It might be Aaron Burr. Which I'm sure he was secretly hoping. Right? So all Burr had to do was win a huge election, a monumental election, an election that Jefferson referred to as the Revolution of 1800. Mm. And the best way to win an election back then was probably the same way to do it now. Publicity. Money. Oh. And power. Yeah. (laughs) It's all related. Yes. To get money, Burr needed a bank. So he calls Hamilton. (laughs) Not yet. Because Hamilton has all the banks. The banks in New York, and there were only two of them, they were both controlled by Hamilton, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And they were generally Federalist institutions. In order to establish a new bank or any corporation in New York, you really needed a charter, which could only be granted by the state legislature. And the legislature was controlled by Federalists in 1799. Okay. So there was no way. Yeah. No way in hell they were going to charter a new bank to compete with the two they already had, especially a new bank controlled by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And there were only about a dozen corporations chartered in New York at that time, period. It took a lot to get a charter. So he's roadblocked. What does he do? Well... If he could come up with a solution to New York City's clean water problem, if he could prevent thousands of deaths they from yellow fever... They would have to give him a charter. That just might be the ticket, yeah. Right. To getting your corporation chartered. So does he chartered. call Benjamin Rush? <laughs> no, Benjamin Rush does not appear in this episode. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, no Rush. <laughs> no Rush for me. <laughs> no. But another doctor oh. does play a role. Okay. In 1798, Dr. Joseph Brown, who also happened to be an engineer... He wrote a proposal to the city for a private company to be established that would bring clean water to New York City and greatly reduce the threat of yellow fever. It would cost about $200,000, save thousands of lives. Nowhere in this proposal would you find the name Aaron Burr. Mm-hmm. But Aaron Burr was Dr. Brown's brother-in-law. Okay. Uh, it seems like every man in New York at this time seems to be every other man's brother-in-law. Um, that's just how it works, at least in this story. Okay. So, yeah, everybody's... <laughs> they're all related. They're all each other's brother-in-law. Okay. Yeah. 
So Burr was probably a big part of Brown's proposal to the city. So the Common Council accepted this proposal, but they made a big change. They did not want this to be a private company. They wanted it to be a municipal waterworks, which would mean it was controlled by the city. You couldn't, like, own it as a private citizen or make money off of it. Okay. But then how is Burr making money from it? Well, that's... If it's the, owned by the city. That's, that's the problem. That's the last thing Burr wanted. He did not give a damn about clean water. <laughs> he just... Not really. Wanted, right. He had been studying bank charters for years and looking for a way to create a bank to help fund his own interests and the interests of the Republican Party. His master plan needed this water company to be a private company and it needed to be executed perfectly if it was going to work. Good thing for him, he was 10 steps ahead of everybody. Oh, so he knew this might happen. Yeah, he was ahead of everybody, including Hamilton. Really? So the state assembly um, that Burr was a part of, it got this proposal and there was some question of whether or not it should be a public or a private company. Mm -hmm. And they gave Burr 10 days leave to go back to New York City to figure out how best to address the Common Council's concerns about the company being public. Okay. He used every bit of those 10 days to put his plan in motion. Wow. So what he, is this plan? He needed to make a strong case that the water company needed to be private, so he put together a bipartisan group, three Republicans, including himself, and three Federalists, including the king of the Federalists, Alexander Hamilton. So... He uses Hamilton. He uses Hamilton. Oh, my gosh. So this group, it was put together to convince the city that this needed to be a private company. And this all happened, obviously, before the murder. Yeah. Because that well wouldn't have existed. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So this needed to be a private company. And it wasn't that hard of a case to make that it should be private. Because at that time, I don't believe there were any like city-owned water companies in the country. So this would have been a new kind of thing. So he used Hamilton. Oh, he yeah. used Hamilton to make his case. Yeah, we're, that's what we're getting oh, to we're right now. To oh, it. yeah. Okay, I was like, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> so it wasn't that hard to make the case that it shouldn't be run by the city or owned by the city because a big reason was that the city didn't have the money to do it. But if you could get private investors involved, you could raise a lot more money and you wouldn't have to tax people. This was like a win-win. Mm-hmm. And New York at that time had no appetite for taxing people anymore, especially since they just spent, I guess, a lot of money on fortifying the harbors against a possible French invasion. Because at this point, this was right after they thought we might be going to war with France. Okay. And Alexander Hamilton was like running the army and, and ready for that, bringing it on. So they just fortified the harbors. And that was something that both Hamilton and Burr had agreed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one reason that they were pretty open to working to each- with each other at this point. Hmm. But Hamilton didn't foresee being tricked. No. The mayor got the report from this committee, this committee of six. They laid out how the city-run version of the plan was problematical, which was Hamilton's word. (laughs) Uh, And the mayor said... I love that because I make up words sometimes. Right. And I think that's okay. It is Because sometimes there's not a word that fully captures the tone and tense. I agree. Thank you. Yeah. So they put together this plan, but there were like no names attached to it. And the mayor said, hey, this is great, but it doesn't mean much unless there are names like behind this. Like, who's this from? So Hamilton comes forward. He puts his name on it. He (laughs) vouches for it. He puts the whole weight of his reputation behind it and effectively becomes the lead voice in the city toward making this company private. Wow. So he partially owned it. Um, He was... He didn't partially own it at this point. He's just on this like board of advisors okay. uh, suggesting that it be a private company. Okay. Uh, Hamilton did flesh out a plan to make the company um, worth not just 200000 but a million dollars. He thought that's what it would take. That's crazy back then. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy now. Right. He said that the city uh, could own something like a third of it. So it wouldn't be completely controlled by the city, but the city would have a big chunk of it. Okay. And Hamilton, he was fully convinced that this effort was for the public good. And it was something he could proudly put his name on. So sad. Yeah. So this convinced the Common Council to be cool with the private company plan. So Burr had cleared this hurdle. But now he had a few more steps to go. But what was the, what was the process of saying, hey, I need this bipartisan group. Hamilton, will you be on my group and vouch for my company? 
You yeah. know, how did, what was that process? So I think Burr went to Hamilton and said, hey, you know, look at this yellow fever epidemic. Look at I our see. city. People are dying. We've got this plan from this doctor guy, my brother-in-law, who <laughs> says, you know, we need this private water company uh-huh. and it's going to take a whole lot of money to do it. And there's no way the city is going to get it done. Okay. So it's got to be a private company. So he was on board from because yeah. he, he sold it as a yellow fever issue. Yeah, definitely. Okay. To Hamilton. Yeah. And the case was solid for it. Like a, a water company that could bring clean water to the city mm-hmm. was needed. Okay. So next... Burr took the plan that Hamilton had had written out and laid out, and Mm -hmm. he edited it a bit. A bit. Yeah. So he made the charter perpetual, which means it would never need to be rechartered or renewed once it was, like, sanctioned by the state. You're in, you're in. Yeah. The, The only condition was that they had to provide water to the city within 10 years of their founding. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they had to continue providing water. That's a nice little window. It's it's pretty nice, yeah. It's like, I don't have to do anything for 10 more years. Yeah. He also, he removed some pretty important responsibilities that Hamilton had built into it. Like what? Originally, the company would be required to provide water for firefighting. <laughs> nope, uh, took that out. Uh, wow. Um, originally, the company would have to put the streets back together after they dug them up to lay pipes. He took that out. He was like, we're just going to destroy the city. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Um, And instead of a group of seven directors like Hamilton had proposed, Burr changed it to 12. And he populated those directors with nine Republicans. Okay. But the thing is, all of the men that he chose were super well-respected, established businessmen. And they included like different factions of Republicans. So it still looked like a legitimate business. Um, yeah, a legitimate business, a legitimate bipartisan group on its face. Uh-huh. One of those directors uh, was almost certainly put there by Hamilton, though, probably as a requirement for him to support the plan in the okay. first place. Uh-huh. So it wasn't just, hey, we need clean water. Right. Hamilton probably came and said, hey, you know, this guy, John Barker Church, my brother-in-law, <laughs> um, Angelica's husband, if you, mm-hmm. you know, from the musical, mm-hmm. um, Hamilton said, this guy needs to be on the board. Okay. So we need to talk about this guy for a little bit because he plays a pretty big role. Angelica's husband. Yeah, he plays a big role in the Manhattan Company and in Hamilton's life and death. Really? John Barker Church. He was from England and he came to the U.S. around 1776 under suspicious circumstances. Huh. He seems to have been escaping creditors that he couldn't pay. (laughs) And he may have been fleeing because he killed someone in a duel in England. Okay. Whatever the reason. I thought it was legal to kill someone in a duel. I mean, it's not super great. And sometimes (laughs) it's not totally legal. So whatever the reason, this guy, John Barker Church, he was using an assumed name when he came to the U.S. He was John Carter. Nice name. Yeah. Hard to find. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He was using that name, John Carter, when he married Angelica Schuyler. Oh. Yeah. So he was a liar. He was. So John Carter, a.k.a. John Barker Church, he got hooked up with this great gig supplying the Continental Army and the French with supplies during the war. He made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then he relied on Hamilton's big financial brain to help guide him in business. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. It's lucky. mm -hmm. After the war, he'd gone back to England and he was in Parliament there. So he's one of the few like revolutionary figures who also was in the British Parliament. Weird guy. But... Hamilton getting him a seat on this board of this water company was Hamilton's way of of helping him kind of come back to the United States. Okay. Might have been better if he stayed. Okay. So now Burr has changed up the water company proposal, stuffed it full of things that will help his party, and it just needs to get approved. It needs to get through the state Congress. How does it do that after he does all these edits? Yeah. He's got a plan. He's a man with a plan. (sighs) First, it goes to the state assembly, which is like the state house of representatives. That's controlled by federalists because everything is controlled by federalists there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this bill, it had so much bipartisan support. It had Hamilton associated with it. No one looked too closely at the details. Mm. And so they pass it. That's the problem. So he foresaw that? He foresaw no one's going to look at the details? Apparently. That's just luck, I think. There might have been some luck involved. But then it goes to the Senate, and that's a much bigger challenge. 
Burr does not want everyone to really look at the fine print, so he suggests that it be diverted to a committee of three instead of given a full read-through by the whole Senate. (laughs) And he's told, no, that's really not how we do things. Yeah, we look at the work, yeah. And then he suggests, what what if this guy, Samuel Jones Sr., (laughs) the most respected Federalist in the Senate, what if he's part of that committee? Okay. And then they're like, okay, cool, fine, that, that sounds good. So that happened. And that somehow worked. What? I think one of the other people on the committee was a Republican. They convinced this guy, Samuel, this bill looks good. I think that what Burr was planning was so innovative that no one really suspected that what was, could possibly happen. Yeah. But there was one more hurdle. Uh-huh. It had to go through something called the Council of Revision. <laughs> What's all the, what are, there's just so many councils. Yes, this council was, um, it was put together to review all bills passed by the legislature for conflicts either with the Constitution or the public good. <laughs> wow. And it consisted of the governor, the chancellor, why, I don't know what a chancellor is in this case. I know. But, but there's a chancellor and the judges of the state Supreme Court. And no one saw this as an issue? Oh, wait. Okay. If this body vetoed something, it would take a two-thirds vote of the legislature to to override them. So it really needed to get through the Council of Revision. And in this council, there was one judge, a man named John Lansing. He was very concerned about something in the proposed charter. Not putting the street back together? No, that's fine. <laughs> he was concerned. Not giving water to the firefighters? No, they'll be fine. <laughs> He was concerned about something else, hmm. an extremely unusual surplus capital clause. So buried in. So the, he was looking closely. This guy was, yeah. Some people, some people did. Some people had the time. But he wasn't concerned about the streets. No, I think that that was okay. No one cared about the streets. That wasn't the biggest priority. So buried in the charter was this provision. I'll, I'll read it to you. That it shall and may be lawful for the said company to employ all such surplus capital as may belong or accrue to the said company in the purchase of public or other stock or in any other money transactions or operations not inconsistent with the constitution and laws of this state or of the United States for the sole benefit of the said company. Oh, so is that basically saying this company can make its own money and keep it? (laughs) It's saying that the Manhattan company could use any money beyond what it would take to provide water and do whatever it wanted with, with that, that money, money, including win an election, <laughs> open a bank, uh, including open a bank. Yes. Lansing was alarmed by this, <laughs> but he was rightly o- so, but yeah. he wasn't worried about a bank being opened. No, probably. He, I don't know if he was specifically worried about a bank. It's unclear if, if people who weren't in on the deal knew about the bank, what this could mean. But this guy Lansing was overruled by two other men. Wow. One of them was a fellow Federalist who maybe didn't quite grasp what this meant. This was a Judge Egbert Benson. <laughs> so Benson voted to approve the charter, and he faced serious consequences for his vote. Like, he had aspirations to run for governor someday, uh-huh. but voting to charter this company... <sighs> um, was his downfall. It killed that dream in its oh, tracks. Oh, wow. Yeah. One decision. Right? The other man who overruled Lansing was Chancellor Robert Livingston. He was a Republican. He was part of Burr's party. He voted to approve the charter. He also happened to be the single largest stockholder in the proposed Manhattan Company. Of course. Yeah. Doesn't that seem... Wouldn't they know that? Wouldn't, isn't that something they'd notice? No. I don't think that was mentioned in the charter. Oh. I think that who was investing in it was probably um, kept in a ledger on the it's side. It's just like all corrupt. Oh, yeah. So corrupt. Totally. When you walk through an art museum, what happens? You see some interesting things, you see some not so interesting things, (laughs) and if you're like us at all, you're probably a little bit sleepy. Well, grab a cafecito and listen up. It's Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. We are both artists, so we look at art history through that perspective. We cover the artists you know and those that have been ignored for so many different reasons. We look at the context of the time, we compare it to today. We don't dumb anything down, but, and this is a big but, we like to have a good 
time, okay? Nos gusta to goof around, all right? We have hungry pantry bonds no, that no, might startle you. It's a long story. We, we feed them our materials. Art is just a visual language that is open for anyone to interpret. So if this all sounds good to you, join us on Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. I mean, I didn't realize Burr was this corrupt. This is, yeah, this is... This is really low. Burr had a reputation for being kind of slimy, and this... Really? This and Killing Hamilton, I think, are two of the biggest things that led to that reputation. Oh, jeez. Yeah, the musical doesn't make him seem like this. Yeah. It leaves mu- out all this. I mean, the musical and just what I know of him, I didn't realize. I mean, he sounds really brilliant, but villainous. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we're going to talk about how the combination of those two things don't always work in someone's favor. Well, you'd think they would. I mean, it sounds like they do. But then he lost his cool and shot Hamilton. You know, who hasn't? (laughs) Lost their cool and shot somebody? Shot Hamilton specifically. (laughs) Well, I'd say that about Andrew Jackson. Everyone's shot him, but... Yeah. Burr, I mean, he knew who exactly to offer stocks to ahead of time. He knew how to play the game. Under the guise of a water company pledging to bring clean and wholesome water to lower Manhattan, Aaron Burr had created a bank. <laughs> wow. So how long did it take him to create the bank after approving the charter? Less than six months. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was a really quick. Yeah. How this got through the Federalist-controlled state Congress, it's almost beyond comprehension. He snuck it through, and he corrupted all the filters. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. I mean, aside from his shady maneuvering, there's the idea that most people, including Federalists, probably thought that what Burr was doing wasn't even possible. Like, how could you create a charter for a water company that was also secretly a charter for a bank? (laughs) Right, but I mean, you would have thought that anything Burr was doing would be suspicious, honestly, because he was... In the Republican Party. Yeah. He was a well-known lawyer. In the, you know, so you would have thought, like, what is this man really up to? Yeah. And Hamilton did find him suspicious and didn't like his character in general. But he thought that this was Legit. something they could collaborate on. You know, people worked together on things that made sense back then. It wasn't just, you know, combative all the and time. And all he cared about was building a bank so he could win the election. Yeah. Did he ever get clean water to Manhattan? Water did happen. We'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) So nothing like this had ever been done. And for the folks who maybe did suspect, some of them probably already owned shares in this thing because they were able to buy shares in what they thought was a water company. Uh So if they got an inkling, hey, maybe this is actually more than a water company, it could make a lot more money than we think. Uh, They're like, oh, okay. Whatever. So it's so they really didn't have a lot of incentive to you know, to really voice themselves about their suspicions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so corrupt. So soon after the charter was approved, the weight of what had actually happened started to be realized. Um, (laughs) As soon as it was approved. Pretty soon after, people were like, what has Burr done? (laughs) Um, How do they know so soon after? I think they finally read the fine print and were like asking questions. And really what happened that made people start to ask questions was the original idea had been to somehow move water from the Bronx River down to lower Manhattan, uh-huh. which would have been pretty difficult, pretty expensive. Uh-huh. Um, but Burr didn't want to spend a lot of money on the whole water part of this water company. <laughs> so um, a committee was formed to kind of decide what to do. And they decided to go the easier route of using wells, like the one that Elma Sands was found in, okay. to bring up water and to get water from uh, something called the Collect, which was like a grungy pond Ew. that was not clean, but maybe could be clean someday if people stopped putting waste in it. So there was no real clean water to bring to Manhattan with this plan. Not the cleanest. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So it all became super clear what they were doing when they actually voted that the surplus capital of the company could be employed in the discounting of paper securities. And they established the Office of Discount and Deposit. So what that means is a bank, basically. So immediately. Yeah, within within five to six months, they voted to use their surplus funds for a bank. And they had a lot of surplus funds because they, they weren't, weren't spending, spending much anything. money on water. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. There was a huge Federalist outcry. One director of the company resigned over the decision to become a bank, <laughs> but mainly because he was already the director of another bank. <laughs> uh, and some people back then had scruples. 
One letter by Socrates said that he considered the company the most outrageous insult ever offered to an afflicted city. <sighs> and he said the company must and will be destroyed. I mean, it's, it's totally tricking everybody. Yeah. This guy, Nicholas Lowe, called the Manhattan Company a greater pestilence than the yellow fever and said it might become a dangerous engine in the hands of enemies of government. <sighs> that same man, Nicholas Lowe, got a letter from Aaron Burr challenging him to a duel. Oh my god. But it wasn't actually from Aaron Burr. What? Someone had forged his name. Oh my god. Yeah. This got cleared up pretty quickly, but it shows how volatile the situation was getting and how angry people were about this uh, covert bank. So identity theft, too. <laughs> Basically, yeah. 1800s identity theft. Um, the day after the bank was announced, Aaron Burr actually did fight in a duel, though, with John Barker Church, Hamilton's brother-in-law. Okay, so this is the Carter. Yeah, this is John Barker Church, a.k.a. John Carter. Okay. He and Aaron Burr got into a duel. So they were both directors of this new bank. What did they have to fight about? Well, They just tricked the city. Well, I don't know that Church knew what was going on. And he was a Federalist like Alexander Hamilton. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't necessarily in on this plan. He okay. was just put there by Hamilton on the board. You had mentioned before it would have been better if this man wasn't in Hamilton's life at all. Yeah, I think so. Are we getting to that? Like the, A little bit, yeah. I want to know more about why you think that. Okay, yeah. So this guy, Church, he was at a private dinner party. And one source said that he called Burr a scoundrel whose close friends were knaves and wastrels. Yeah. Um, Burr heard this and he challenged Church to a duel. <laughs> And Church took his fancy English dueling pistols with him, <laughs> and they squared off. Uh, they both took their shots. Church shot a button off of Burr's coat. What? Yeah, but that was the end of it for them. That was enough. And Church uh -huh. apologized, and that, that was the end of the duel. Is that what you can do? You shoot at someone, you're like, oh, you know, friend, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Let's be friends again. Okay, we're good. Kind it's like of. he just shot at somebody. Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, you both got to take a shot. And after you both do that, you're good. If you want to be good, you're good. It, seem, it sounds like they shot at each other, though. They shot at each other. Yeah. That seems really ridiculous. It does. They were willing to die over some stupid beef. Yeah. Which just makes it seem like, you know, when Burr and Hamilton get into a duel later, that was probably another stupid beef. And Burr probably had just as big an ego, if not bigger, than Hamilton's. Mm. Yeah. So avoidable. I know. But you know your company is exciting when two of the directors try to kill each other. Right. <sighs> oh, wow. So it's, it's interesting. There was, a, there was the feeling that the old banks, the National Bank and the Bank of New York, Hamilton's babies, there was this feeling that they catered only to Federalists and didn't do any business with Republicans. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't really true. What was true was that most bankers were Federalists and a whole lot of Republicans didn't really trust banks. But there wasn't like a strict policy of not giving loans to Republicans. Right. Until Aaron Burr's Manhattan Company Bank came along. <laughs> Burr couldn't have planned this better. It's like he laid the perfect trap for Federalists. When the Manhattan Company Bank came along, it opened up opportunities for Republicans because it had more liberal policies and it was open to helping mm -hmm. more middle class folks. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't only for Republicans. They would do business with anybody. Right. But because it was run by a majority of Republicans and championed by Burr, mm -hmm. the Federalist leaning banks actually clamped down on lending to Republicans mm. in the lead up to the local election of 1799. Okay. So suddenly someone's political party really did determine whether they could get a loan from one bank or another. Oh, wow. This was not good business because it drove Republicans to Burr's Bank because it was their only option. And mm -hmm. even some Federalists were going to Burr's Bank too because they could get better deals. Oh, wow. So Burr's over here like, my bank's for everybody, baby. <laughs> and the Federalists, they're shooting themselves in the foot trying to maintain control of finance in New York. Oh, my gosh. There's a great lesson in here about not overreacting to competition or to anything, really. It seems like this, I don't know, it seems like this lesson is read the fine print. Don't, That's a good don't have too. corrupt counsels. Yes, never trust Burr. <laughs> um, never trust Burr or his counsels. Yeah. So Burr's ingenious manipulation of the system, it was a huge help to the Republican Party long term. Yeah. But in the short term, his sliminess hurt him and his party 
because before the big election of 1800, there was a local election in New York in 1799 that would determine like the state assembly and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Leading up to that, right after this bank had been chartered, which was like September of 1799, I think was when the bank part of it was announced. The Federalists relentlessly attacked the political trickery of Burr and it worked. Wow. He lost his seat as assemblyman. Oh, wow. And the Republicans lost their majority there. See, he foresaw everything, but not that, I guess. Probably not that, but really that was just a matter of timing. Okay. Because in 1799, at that point, the bank had just gotten established. Uh, It was brand new. And it's like, okay, imagine if an evil wizard moves (laughs) into the neighborhood Mm-hmm. everyone knows that he's an evil wizard and they're immediately like protesting and saying like down with evil wizards. Yes. But then the evil wizard moves in and he uses his magic to make all the crops grow nice and the weather's perfect mm-hmm. and there's no crime. So the 1799 elections took place before the Manhattan company could actually do its thing and prove its value to the mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just reacting to the idea of it. Right. But it didn't do its value to the people. Not, I mean, not right away. Not through water, anyway. No, no. Never through water. Yeah, they're past the water part a lot. But now. maybe through having another bank cater liberally to yeah, both sides. Exactly. So these people were against the creation of the bank. But soon it became so big and strong and successful that it helped the Republicans buy the next election, the election of 1800, the big election. So it was like a long term mm-hmm. win. Yeah. Um, one way it did that. So back then, you had to own property to vote for the electors who would vote for president. Of course, yeah. Burr's bank lent people money to, to buy, buy property. property. They wouldn't have qualified before. It created oh, voters. Oh, wow. Yeah. One New York Republican wrote to Jefferson and said, a very important change has been affected by the instrumentality, as Mr. Hamilton would call, of the new bank. <laughs> he told Jefferson it had emancipated hundreds who were held in bondage by the old institutions. Weird words to write to a slave owner. Yes. But still. Wow. So were these actual buildings that you went in and said, I need a loan? Yeah. They did establish a bank on Wall Street. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The evil wizard had become too powerful to defeat. Oh, wow. So... Where did all the money come from to loan all these people money? So, okay, good question. And I will try to understand it because it, it this bumps right up against the limit of my financial understanding. <laughs> so it, it was a corporation, okay. which meant that there were shares to buy. So people could invest and they could each own a little piece of the bank. So all that investment then went to people wanting loans. Yeah, that's how they raised the money. And then they lent loans and they made interest on the loans. Okay. Um, But back then, a great way to make money on a bank would be to own a piece of the bank, like to have Mm -hmm. stock in the bank rather than just have money in the bank earning interest. Right, or loans. And they sold their stocks, or a lot of them anyway, at more accessible prices. So Mm, more people could buy them. Exactly. And they raised a lot of money in not a long time. So they had more money. They were valued more. They were allowed to be valued more because of their charter. Mm -hmm. They had a higher valuation than the other banks they were competing against. And they had a perpetual charter. So the other banks had to kind of play nice with Congress to get rechartered in 20 years. Right. They didn't have to play nice. They didn't. They could do whatever they want. They didn't have to play by the same rules. Why didn't everyone put perpetual in their charters? Because they wouldn't have been passed. Yeah, but his was. <laughs> his was because they thought it was a water company. It's like, yeah, we want water forever. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. They didn't know it was a we bank. We do want water forever. Yeah. That is so tricky. Yeah. The stink of what Aaron Burr did creating this <laughs> bank, it stuck to him. And one person who never forgot that was Hamilton. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, because Burr had absolutely used him to get what he wanted. And he made him look like a fool. Yeah. Burr may have helped his party win the election of 1800. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many people believe that's exactly what the bank did. Yeah. But and his reputation was gone. Yeah. And Hamilton was going to make damn sure that Burr himself did not win the presidency mm-hmm. in that election. Mm. Um, so there was there was a tied vote for president between Jefferson and Burr. And was there? Yeah. This is part of the Hamilton musical, too, where uh, they talk about Hamilton stepping in and throwing in his hat for Jefferson over Burr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says in the musical, but when all is said and all is done, Jefferson has beliefs. Burr has none. Mm, I remember that. That's pretty much what Hamilton actually said. 
the musical just skipped over all the bank parts, which is a shame because imagine how successful it could have been if there were just more stuff about finance and banking in New York. (laughs) Missed opportunity, Lynn. Um, So here's what Hamilton actually said about Burr after this had happened. So there's this tide vote in the House of Representatives, and he's writing to a representative, a Federalist, named James Baird. So at this point, it looks like the Federalists might lean toward Burr over Jefferson. And if they did that, wow. Burr How would win. How could they do that? Because Jefferson was like the leader of the Republican Party, and they really didn't want him. And Burr but was Burr kind of playing everybody. both sides. Uh, but Burr had the reputation of tricking I know. the city. I know. So Hamilton wrote to this Federalist who wasn't yet decided, and he didn't hold back. Hamilton says that if all of the Federalist Party were to support Burr, Hamilton would have to leave the party. Wow. Yeah, he says, it will be impossible for me to reconcile with my notions of honor or policy the continuing to be of a party, which, according to my apprehension, will have degraded itself and the country. That's amazing. And you would never see that today. No, he sounds like Liz Cheney talking about Trump. (laughs) Right. That's true. So you don't see it very often. No, it's just very rare. So Hamilton's writing to this member of the House who is going to vote and break this tie. And he's trying to get him not to lean toward Burr. And he's saying, look, I know that Jefferson has his faults. Uh, I admit that his politics are tinctured with fanaticism, that he is too much in earnest in his democracy, that he's been a mischievous enemy to the principal measures of our past administration. It doesn't sound like he's promoting him, though. (laughs) No, that he is crafty and persevering in his objects, (laughs) that he is not scrupulous about the means of success, nor very mindful of truth, and that he is a contemptible hypocrite. Okay, so let's vote for him. (laughs) Yeah. How is that supporting him? Well, he goes on to say that in spite of all that, Jefferson still believes in the Constitution. He wouldn't subvert the powers of Congress. He says that Jefferson cares too much about popularity and his reputation to do anything too crazy. Mm -hmm. But the same cannot be said for Burr. Right. He says Burr is a man of extreme and irregular ambition. And he's not even that smart, he says. He says the force of Mr. Burr's understanding is much overrated. He is far more cunning than wise, Mm. far more dexterous than Abel. Interesting. In my opinion, he is inferior in real ability to Jefferson. Wow. And then it comes to the part that the musical summed up. (sighs) Hamilton says, he has no fixed theory, and his peculiar notions will easily give way to his interest. In other words, he doesn't have beliefs, he only cares about himself. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton says, no general principles will hardly work much better than erroneous ones. So at least Jefferson has beliefs. Yeah. And I think he probably didn't have clear beliefs on purpose so he could lean wherever he needed to lean. Definitely. Whatever it would take to kind of get him power. Yeah. Yeah. In that that moment. Yeah. Mm. Which is smart, but also cowardice. Yeah. And, And weaselly. It is weaselly, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jefferson and Madison were weaselly as hell, but they had their beliefs and their Things views. they stood for. Yeah. And it's just interesting that Burr would just jump to dueling so easily. Yeah. You know, because to defend his honor when he mm-hmm. really had none. And it's just almost this like... Insecurity? Insecurity, yeah. 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 Defensiveness. Yeah. So Hamilton is very suspicious of Burr's motives. He says, and though I believe he will fail, he will attempt usurpation and the attempt will involve great mischief. So he's saying, watch out for this guy. He's going to try to take over the country. And he's not going to rebuild the roads after. No. (laughs) So yet later down the road, they come together and work a case together. Um, Basically during all of this. During all of this? Yeah. They work a case together. Yes. That makes no sense to me. I'm so interested to know what the dynamic was as they were doing that case. Did they get along? Uh, there's no um, there's no accounts that they didn't. Okay. And if they were smart, which they both were, there wouldn't be any accounts of that. Because you can also look at it this way. This guy, Levi Weeks, mm-hmm. like even Hamilton and Burr are coming together to defend him. He must be innocent. Right. If they are getting past their differences. To defend him. Exactly. Now, is that what people were thinking? I don't know. Right. But it couldn't hurt. Right. But all of that, that feeling that like Burr is going to usurp the country, it's also eerily present of 
Burr's future attempt to actually maybe take over and create his own country. Uh, what? Yeah, that's a subject for another episode. Oh. In this same letter that we're almost through, Hamilton says that he's seen Burr complain about banks before, along with his fellow Republicans, because they're all like, banks can't be trusted, duh, duh, duh. And then he says, yet he has lately, by a trick, established a bank. And he calls the bank a perfect monster in its principle, but a very convenient instrument of profit and influence. It was so convenient, in fact, that even Hamilton had an account and took a loan at that bank. Really? How could he do that? Why let your principles get in the way of money? <laughs> yeah. Um, even if he benefited from it financially, though, Hamilton used Burr's creation of the bank uh, as a point against him and why he must not be elected president. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton got his way. Oh, good. Yeah. On the third. I mean, I don't want Burr to vote. be president either. Well, yeah. Good news. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Burr does not win. On the 36th vote to break the tie, the House of Representatives finally elected Jefferson as president, making Burr the vice president. Which is, I mean, flawed. Yeah. So Hamilton had gotten his revenge on Burr. He prevented him from becoming the president. Mm -hmm. um, Burr, I'm sure, was not happy about that. No. You could make the argument that, that Hamilton actually also prevented Adams from winning the election, too, um, with a pamphlet that he wrote earlier calling him an incompetent tyrant. And then, with his own affair earlier, Hamilton probably destroyed his own chances for ever becoming president. So Alexander Hamilton may have single-handedly prevented more people from becoming president <laughs> than, than anyone, anyone else. <laughs> yes. Including himself. Exactly. Wow. As far as the Hamilton-Burr feud, though... Hamilton may have won that battle, but you can't really say he won the war. Mm. Because four years later, their tensions and their egos boiled over into a duel, and Burr silenced Hamilton forever. And he did it with pistols that he borrowed from John Barker Church. The pistols that shot off his button? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Is that ironic? It's, it's Is weird. that what irony is? It's, I think that's something else. We're bordering on a curse. Um, uh, okay. Because <laughs> it's, it's more than irony. Yeah. yeah. At Hamilton's funeral in New York, there was a stage set up, and, and there were two seats that were put right up front in the center. One belonged to the man giving the eulogy, and that's our old friend, Gouverneur Morris. Mm -hmm. The other belonged to John Barker Church, because he was that close with Hamilton, you got to wonder what Church was thinking. Handing over pistols to Burr? His own guns had killed his friend. Oh. The same guns probably killed his friend's son. Because oh. when Philip Hamilton dueled, yeah. it was John Barker Church that was like counseling him and loaned him those guns. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and if Church himself had been a little better at using them, he might have killed Burr years ago and prevented Hamilton's untimely death. Oh, wow. It all comes back to church. Yeah. It's just the what ifs in this yeah. story yeah. are so, there's a plethora of them. There are. It's a plethora of what ifs yeah. in this whole story, especially when it comes down to Hamilton's death. Yeah. And Burr's survival and all that. Yeah, I mean, totally. It's like, like Burr, what if Burr was had so, been killed. Yeah. Burr was so close to not having survived. Yeah. And then he does. And then he, it, like these guns that are lent out to everybody to kill Apparently. off Hamilton's family. Yeah. Which is a good friend. Why are you giving, you know? Yeah. I'm disturbed. Me too. <laughs> and then all the what ifs of what if the charter didn't go through. Yeah. Totally. Which it seems like that could have been possible, but people voiced, but not too hard. Yeah. And some people truly believe that the Bank of Manhattan was responsible for winning the election of 1800 for Republicans. Wow. It's hard to say that for sure, but it was certainly a factor. Mm. And if it had never been chartered, I don't know what might have been different. Right. But back to church. So those guns, they were handed down to church's family, and then they were purchased in 1930 by a company that still owns them and displays them in their corporate building in New York. Mm. That company is the biggest bank in the country, and it goes by the name of J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, that's ironic. But before that, <laughs> it was the Chase Manhattan Bank. Oh, my God. Which can trace itself back to the Manhattan Company founded by Aaron Burr in 1799. What? Yeah. So, J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah. Is the Manhattan Company? Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. the Manhattan Company went on to become 
the biggest bank in the nation. What? And they own the guns that <laughs> their founder used to kill the person most instrumental in getting their charter passed. Oh my god! Yeah. That yeah. is now that's ironic. That is something. <laughs> that's I mean, ugh, it hurts. So Aaron Burr's charter was so innovative that when the much larger Chase Bank merged with the Manhattan Company in 1955, they kept the Manhattan Company's charter. A press report said that it was like Jonah swallowing the whale. They never did provide all that much water. <sighs> they did provide water to probably a few thousand people. Um, and they, they used the cheapest pipes they could find. They were made of wood. Oh, my God. They were like hollowed out trees. Ew. Um, those wooden pipes are still dug up occasionally. It took until about 1840 or so, I think, what? for a real water company um, run by the city to come about and, and actually bring good, consistent, clean water to the city. One of the problems with the wooden pipes, too, the tree roots like would just go right through them. Oh, my gosh. It wasn't so a good plan. It was no. a short-sighted... Right. Uh, ploy. Right. So Burr didn't even stick with the bank that much longer after he became vice president. And after he killed Hamilton, he didn't really stick with much of anything. But the bank he created, I mean, it went on to become more powerful than he ever could have hoped. Mm. And it was so powerful that it, you know, helped win the revolution of 1800 for his party. But the stink of his underhanded maneuvering, it stuck to him so hard that he he won this war of winning the election, but he lost the battle for his own power. Mm -hmm. And that I think is ironic because that was always the battle that mattered most to him. Mm. Yeah. It crushed his own dream. Yeah. Yeah. Went down the pipes. Oh, the wooden ones. Yeah. That's the story of Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton, and the perfect monster, the Manhattan Company. Wow. Yeah. Do you think he was a sociopath? Burr? Yeah. I don't know. How, I, how are you okay with tricking a whole city like that and tricking your friends and the whole, like, well, there's got to be some how. narcissism he, there. The banks that existed were sort of federalist leaning. It was hard to establish a, an opposing party, get the funding that you needed for elections. Um, and there were a lot of people that were... Are you empathizing with him? No, but <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying that outside of Burr, the need for a bank that served more people... Was, and different people was, was very real. Mm -hmm. So forming a bank wasn't a terrible thing. And was there a way that he or anybody could have possibly done it without this scheme? I don't know. So so then why was it so gnarly of a, and slimy of a scheme? Um, because it, he it was done. Water. Yeah, it was, it was done under the pretense of, of clean water. And it never would have been passed otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, but it, but you're saying it wasn't really fair that it wouldn't have been passed otherwise. Yeah. So he had to do what he had to do. Maybe. So, so no, he's not a sociopath. He was just getting shit done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just a righteous man doing the right thing. Doing the right you thing. Know? And you know what? He brought. He did bring water to the city that they didn't have before. It was better than what came before. In their wooden pipes, which are going to mold and root over. You know, it wasn't great. So this week, we kind of talked about an election where only white landowning men could vote for the most part. Yeah. So we shouldn't take it for granted that we can vote now. Yeah. And no one who can should. So yeah. please vote. Take your friends to vote. And on the way, borrow their phones and subscribe them to our podcast. Yeah. And then give their phones back. <laughs> or just recommend or, it to them or don't <laughs> yeah keep their phones um or do all of the above right yes next week i'm going to be talking with author michael meyer about benjamin franklin and his fascinating book benjamin franklin's last bet the favorite founder's divisive death enduring afterlife and blueprint for american prosperity wow what a title it is a title a lot of it's after the colon so it's like you know Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can be as long as you want after You can colon. do whatever you want after a poll. You really can. You yeah. can go on for pages. Yeah. Sounds um, great. It was great. And it was such a fun interview. We had a great time really? talking about I Franklin. I can't wait to listen to that yeah. one. Thank you for plotting along with us. Thank you. I'm the pterodactyl.